I'm so sorry that I'm going to have to ask you to rise again. <laughs> At least you're getting your gymnastics for the day. <clears throat> As I think about the week um, and all the troubles and the cares that we have, the concerns of everything, whether it be test results, whether it be your job, whether you have a job or you don't, whether it be if you have enough money to pay for the bills that are coming for the, for the end of the week, your health, your concerns about the people that you love and the concerns for the salvation of those that are around you and the family members that you love. I think let's just take a moment and let's just shake it all off. Let's take the dirt from the world that has entered into the sanctuary and just wash yourselves and let it fall at the feet of Jesus because he knows all and he cares all about all of us. I think uh, Taylor Swift had a song that was Shake It Off or something. <laughs> Anyways, um, the reading is incorrect uh, in, the, that, in the bulletin. So the reading that we're doing today is Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Thus saith the Lord. Please be seated. I can't take any credit for the spelling mistake that's in the front of the bulletin. I guess it kind of works, but uh, don't blame me. We're looking at the life of Jacob, and uh, last week we saw the probably one of the worst moments in his life when after his wedding night he realized they pulled a switch on him, and he was married to the wrong sister. And uh, we're going to follow that up now by looking at uh, this message, in both at the last verse in Genesis 29 and then in ch into chapter 30. Because today we want to find out what's wrong with people. You ever ask that question? What is wrong with people? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to worship, to pray, to just experience the, the healing that it is to be in the midst of the family of God, where you are supreme, where you are recognized as sovereign. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us in a very personal way today, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. T.S. Eliot wrote these words in his poem, The Hollow Men. Between the idea and the reality falls the shadow. Between the conception and the creation, between the emotion and the response falls the shadow. 
This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. In other words, life is often anticlimactic. Between the idea and the reality, there falls a shadow, so that the anticipation we have is far greater than the experience. That's why there's so many kids crying in Disneyland, because after an hour of standing in line, the magic has gone out of the kingdom and you find yourselves in the shadowlands. And these shadows fall on our lives all the time. And it was certainly true for Jacob. Verily, verily, I say unto you, there is no man who ever anticipated his wedding more than Jacob. For seven years his heart hungered and thirsted for Rachel, and he kept himself pure. But his wedding night was shrouded in shadows, and when morning came... There was Leah. And of course, it was all Laban's fault, his treacherous, deceitful father-in-law. Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? How could anyone do that? And now what? Well, welcome to the season premiere of The Real Housewives of Mesopotamia. Because in Genesis 30, we have a reality show that would make the Sopranos look like Little House on the Prairie. Jacob is now in a committed relationship with two sisters and their two servant girls. And the competition was fierce. We read in chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Billa, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she may bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. Verse 5 says, And she became pregnant and bore him a son. And then Leah did the same thing with her servant girl. And by the time that uh, it was all finished, Leah had six sons, her servant had two, Rachel had two, her servant also had two. So the final score was eight to four for Leah. And now this is going to be the kingdom of God, these sons, in this very dysfunctional, family. And yet, on the positive side, almost each birth was seen and received as a blessing from God. Verse 6, God has vindicated me and he has listened to my pleas, so she named him Dan. Verse 13, how happy am I? The women will call me happy and she named him Asher. Verse 18, God has rewarded me and she named him Issachar. Verse 20, God has presented me with a precious gift and she named him Zebulun. Verse 23, God has taken away my disgrace, and she named him Joseph. And that's kind of interesting, because the mothers are deciding on the names of the children. Because this, in those days, was the father's role. We know that these days, mothers definitely have veto power over any name that we fathers come up with. I was going to name my three sons Huey, Louie, and Dewey. <laughs> and it didn't work. Here's the mothers naming their children. So where was Jacob? Well, he seems to have been 
emotionally withdrawn from the turmoil in his household. I guess he preferred spending time with his sheep more than with his sons. Oh, what a mess. Was this the raw material that God would use to form a holy nation? And poor Jacob, he probably wondered, how did this happen? This is not my life. I never asked for this. This is all Laban's fault. My treacherous father-in-law deceived me. And the question is, of course, where was God? Why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God at least warn Jacob? Well, this brings us to the two most important discoveries in life. The two experiences that change everything. In fact, we will have no lasting change in our lives without these two discoveries. One of them is when we discover the truth about God. Not necessarily in the form of data or information, but in the form of a personal relationship. At Bethel, Jacob had a vivid dream about a stairway to heaven. And he heard God's voice speaking to him personally. And God blessed him and said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. That's when Jacob began to discover the truth about God in a personal way. The second experience that changes everything is when we discover the truth about ourselves. And those two discoveries will continue throughout our lives and we will change as we make them. Because the truth, discovering the truth about ourselves is usually bad news. But discovering the truth about God changes that into good news. We need to discover the truth about ourselves. Now we, we do know a lot of things about ourselves already. We know good things and bad things. We have a certain amount of self-awareness. But we also have some blind spots. Everyone here this morning has some blind spots. Other people have noticed things about you that you are absolutely oblivious to. It's incredible how that happens. And if you want to find out what your blind spots are, ask uh, some of the people who know you the best a simple question. What are the two things that I need to change in my life? And if they will answer that honestly, it will be very interesting and it may surprise you. Because we have blind spots and we're not always aware of what's happening in our blind spots. And that can cause a lot of damage. But we will never experience permanent change until we discover the truth about ourselves. And that is precisely why Jacob was sent away from home. That's why he traveled 550 miles up into northern Syria. He came there for three reasons. Number one, to escape the vengeance of his brother Esau. Number two, it was to find a wife. And number three, it was to find himself. You see, part of the problem was that Jacob was mama's boy. Because his father favored Esau, Rebekah poured her love into Jacob. She did everything to build up his self-esteem until Jacob had become addicted to her flattery. Rebekah was his enabler. Her indulgent love made it impossible for Jacob to grow up. 
impossible for him to see himself as he really was. God had to get him out of there before Jacob suffocated from an overdose of maternal affection. He needed to get roughed up or he would never grow up. So Jacob travels all the way up to Haran because this is the place where he will discover the truth about himself. We know that at first his good luck continued. He falls in love with Rachel, works for seven years to earn her hand in marriage. That's from the original Hebrew. <laughs> and everything goes his way until the morning. And when morning came, there was Leah. Jacob worked seven years, and when payday came, Laban changed his wages. Well, that's not fair. You can't do that. You ripped me off. This is outrageous. What's wrong with people? What is this you have done to me? Why have you deceived me? Well, that is the moment, right there, when Jacob discovered the truth about himself. Because Laban was the full-length mirror that helped Jacob see who he really was. Jacob had deceived his hairy brother and his dying father. And now Laban had deceived him. So Jacob, what's it like to be on the receiving end of deception? Now you know what it feels like to be the victim and now you have to live with the consequences. Ouch! Discovering the truth about yourself can send you to the burn unit. But you will never be the same and you will have a chance to grow and to mature. Back in the 70s, I was pastoring in Drumheller. And I spent a lot of time in the penitentiary for various crimes and misdemeanors but they weren't all my own. <laughs> Several times a week, I was involved in counseling the inmates. And it was just so frustrating because all, of the, all they had were excuses. None of them were willing to admit the truth about themselves until a revival broke out. And it was really quite simple. The prison chaplain was a cynical, skeptical, liberal clergyman who used all of the latest psychological techniques with the inmates, but very little scripture. Well, when he left, the Alliance pastor and myself filled his position as volunteers. And we started teaching the Bible. And a revival started. And I couldn't believe what was happening. The change that was taking place. One night I had a communion service with about a dozen guys and I thought, well, these things take maybe 10, 15 minutes. Well, it lasted two and a half hours because the Holy Spirit started convicting them and they started weeping. And for the first time in their lives, they were able to understand what their victims had felt like. That their victims' lives had been shattered and their hearts were broken. And that's when those inmates began to change. It was a painful truth, but it was a miracle. There is no lasting change until we discover the truth about ourselves, and not just theologically or theoretically, but inwardly, 
in our heart and soul. The scripture in Hebrews 4 talks about that. But Faye just read. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Is that what happens to you when you come to church? For a lot of people, coming to church is just kind of like a deep tissue massage. You know, you go out and you're feeling better. Sometimes uh, you might come under conviction and there's some superficial wounds. But what we're talking about here is far beyond that. This is surgery that cuts into our inner being that exposes malignant tumors like selfishness and greed and lust and anger that has metastasized into bitterness. The Word of God is not plastic surgery to make us look better. We're talking about a scalpel that doesn't just scrape off dead skin cells. It penetrates into the very heart of the problem. This is open-heart surgery. But it's very complicated because our sin is not self-contained. It's encrusted and protected by the toxic tumors of our excuses. We need radical surgery to remove both, which is a problem. Because I think all of us have given consent for a synectomy. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We all agree with that. But I don't necessarily want to give up my excuses because I might need them in the future. But I will never experience lasting change until I also get rid of my excuses. You see, our excuses are the last thing we'll ever give up. Because our excuses are painkillers. How many of you, without showing hands, use painkillers? We all do. Many of us do. We need them. Would you dare to live by giving them up? Well, our excuses are like painkillers that we take to prevent the truth from hurting us. And painkillers are very addictive. And they're dangerous because they can make us forget about our problem. Painkillers only treat symptoms. They don't disinfect our wounds. They only desensitize us to the condition that we have, which gets worse. A painkiller is not an antidote. And we use excuses like opioids that desensitize us from the pain of knowing the truth. Excuses have absolutely no healing properties so that the infection spreads. That's why in removing our sin, God also wants to remove our excuses. And this is radical surgery. And when God does surgery, he doesn't always use anesthetics. Sometimes it, it really hurts. And to me, that was a surprise. You know, I, I thought God would keep me from getting hurt. But he didn't. And he doesn't. God will let people hurt us. They will break our hearts. And in times of persecution, they will destroy our bodies. And that really hurts. God will let us get hurt. 
but he won't let us be harmed. And there's a big difference. Difficult people may break our hearts, but they can't destroy our souls. And we can, no matter what happens, affirm it is well with my soul. A shadow fell on King David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And to cover up his crime, he made sure her husband would be killed in battle. And David hardly flinched because his excuse was that other kings do this all the time. It wasn't until the prophet Naaman came, Nathan came and told David about a rich man who wanted to show hospitality to a visitor. But he didn't want to slaughter any of his own livestock for the feast, so he, he took the lamb that belonged to a very poor man, and that would, would become the entree. The injustice. Well, David was outraged. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, this man deserves to die. And Nathan looked at the king and said, you are the man. Ouch! That hurts. But that's the only way healing can begin. Laban was the mirror that allowed Jacob to see the truth about himself. In the book of James, the Bible is compared to a mirror. And James says many just come and take a quick look and then they walk away and forget what they looked like. Nothing changes. That happens to people on Sunday morning all the time. We come into church, we get a little look and then off we go and we're the same as we were. Nothing changes unless the truth starts to penetrate and starts to hurt. That's why God didn't warn Jacob about the trap that his father-in-law had set. God does not always protect us from difficult people. And those people sometimes can be members of our own family. It can be our parents, our children, our husband, our wife. And of course, we meet difficult people all the time. They're everywhere. For example, I have real problem with selfish people. You know, you're driving down the Deerfoot and they cut in front of you. Who do you think you are, Jason Bourne? Or they speed up to get the parking spot that I was heading for. I won't forget this, Joel Osteen. Or I'm next in line at the bank and the teller leaves for her half hour coffee break. Come on, man, don't leave me hanging. Or I'm in the produce section trying to get to the tomatoes. But this person has a shopping cart blocking access while they're examining every single one, touching and squeezing. I should send those fingerprints to the RCMP. What's wrong with people? Or I'm at the zoo trying to get some photos of snow leopards and there's a half dozen strollers in my way. That's one of the blockades that the CBS never reports. And the mums aren't even looking. They're talking about what happened on last night's Bachelor episode. Oh, what is wrong with these people? I'm sorry I had to vent, but my life is not an easy one. <laughs> the point is that I can spend a whole day encountering selfish people, getting upset at selfish people, 
and never once catch a glimpse of my own reflection because I have these excuses. Because the problem is other people, not me. Definitely not me, it's them. What is wrong with people? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the most selfish of them all? Could it be me? Many years ago, a British newspaper held a contest for the best answer to the question, what is wrong with the world? And people sent in all kinds of essays analyzing all the problems of the world. And the winner was a Christian writer named G.K. Chesterton. And his answer consisted of only two words. What's wrong with the world? Chesterton said, I am. We see the splinter in our brother's eye, but we don't notice there's a log in our own eye. And I'm convinced that often the flaws I see so vividly in others, those that bother me the most, somehow are also resident in my life. And I didn't realize it. I had a blind spot. When their rudeness or unkindness or criticism hurts me, then I realize how I've been doing the same to other people. Do I do anything to bother people the way that person bothered me? Who are the most difficult people in your life? Is there anything about their bad behavior that can reveal something about yourself, some truth? And above all, do I ever treat God with the disrespect that person has shown me? Have I ever hurt God the way that person hurt me? Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Why have you deceived me? To experience the fullness of God's blessing involves two things. We have to discover the truth about God and we have to discover the truth about ourselves. Discovering the truth about ourselves is often bad news. But discovering the truth about God changes that into good news. Discovering the truth about ourselves is very traumatic and demoralizing. We can be overwhelmed with despair because we can't handle the truth. That's why most people spend their lives hiding from the truth. Most people, not me, most, most other people, not me. You know, when Isaiah discovered the truth about himself, he cried out, Woe is me! I am ruined! Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah did not just say, I live among a people of unclean lips. He said, I am part of the problem. What's wrong with the world? I am. Discovering the truth about ourselves can be very traumatic. That's why it has to be balanced with discovering the truth about God. Because God knows the worst about us. And so how does that make him feel? You know, one of the most wonderful things is to know somebody 
who has already seen the worst about you, but loves you anyway, there's nothing you can ever do that will make them reject you or turn away from you. That is the most wonderful relationship you can ever have. And that's the kind of relationship God invites us to. He knows the worst about us. But he still has decided to bless us. Jacob's promise was, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I've done everything I promised you. Was Jacob worthy of that promise? No. But God decided to bless him anyway. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised. The New Testament version of that, of course, is Romans 8.28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And the love we have for God is not so much an emotion we've worked up, it's the love that he has poured into us. God enables us to love him because that love has its source in God himself. Well, these things that God does, these plans he has for us, the blessing he has for us, doesn't just happen in a hygienically controlled, spiritually sterilized laboratory environment, but in the unholy, unhygienic, toxic ecosystem of a fallen world that is filled with difficult people. From a human perspective, Jacob's family was a mess. But in that family, God was at work. Look at the transcripts. Verse 5, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea. Verse 18, God has rewarded me. Verse 20, God has presented me with a precious gift. Verse 23, God has taken away my disgrace. There was a lot of blessing going on in that family. Simply because God had made a promise. And through Laban's daughters and Jacob's wives, the kingdom of God was taking shape. And that same God is at work in your life. He loves you not because you deserve it, but because he has plans for you. He has a promise for you. You see, Satan wants to convince us that we're worthless. Don't fall for that scam. He is a liar. And that's on his permanent record. On the contrary, as God's creation... You are priceless. You're worth more than 30, 60, 100 Da Vinci masterpieces. You are definitely not worthless, but you are unworthy. You are unworthy, but you're not worthless. Jacob, the deceiver, the cheater, was not worthy. But, you know, that's all God ever has to work with. All the people God uses are flawed, incompetent, self-centered, selfish, unworthy sinners. But it's amazing what God can do with people like that. But those people have to face the truth about themselves. We can't be like the Pharisee who in the temple prayed, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like all other men. We can't be like that. What's wrong with the world? Not other people. It's us. You know, that Pharisee didn't just have a blind spot. There was a total eclipse there. When Isaiah 
saw the light, he cried out, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. The people God uses are unworthy sinners who have unlimited potential to become a blessing to others as long as they acknowledge the truth about themselves and discover the truth about God. Because that truth sets us free. When morning came, there was Leah. What Jacob didn't notice that morning was when morning came, there was the Lord. God's mercies are new every morning, even that morning, because God works in all things. He has an ability to do that. He has an incredible skill. He can redeem every disappointment in your life, every injustice you've experienced, every broken heart, and he can forgive every sin. What a blessing. Father, we thank you so much that you never gave up on us in spite of the fact that we were often just hopeless cases, in spite of the fact that we are people who have caused a lot of trouble for others. It's not those other people, it's, it's us. We are what's wrong with the world. But you are what's right. And as we surrender our lives to you, you forgive that sin and you make us new again. And as we give up our excuses, we discover the power to change. Because if we don't give up our excuses, we can be forgiven and just go right back to the same sins over and over again. But we want to change. We want to really change. We want to turn away. We want to repent and go in the direction of your plan and your purpose and your promise. For each of us has been promised a tremendous blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is ours in Christ Jesus. So God, that is what we hunger and thirst for your presence. Thank you, God, that when you look at us, you see the worst, but that doesn't stop you from loving us. It is so wonderful to have a relationship with you because you are not just our God. You are our Heavenly Father. And that's how we begin to understand the love you have for us. You are our Father. We thank you for this adventure that we're on and discovering the truth, even when it hurts, because the healing will come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.